Meets with Am I alive? It's going to get real loud in a minute. When I remember to turn it on. Is that better? Yeah, I got that bug too, man. I wish it'd go away. I have I have Jason to thank for mine. He gave it to me. He gives me a lot of things. Most of them are good. Most of them. So tonight, or tonight, today I want to invite you to uh, open up your Bibles to the book of Daniel. We're going to start a series in Daniel. Um, We are going to do Daniel on Sunday morning, and then we're going to start Revelation on Wednesday night as soon as I finish Psalms. In order to lay the groundwork for Revelation on Wednesday night, we want to make sure we get Daniel kind of nailed down because a lot of those things are, are, are going to play across the board as we look at it. And really, before we get too much of Daniel worked out, we kind of got to get our minds wrapped around what's going on in the Old Testament, what's happening, what's, what's, what's God been doing. So if you've been with us on Wednesday night as we gathered, we've worked our way from Genesis to the Psalms. So we've covered most of the history of the nation of Israel. But I think a lot of times when we look at it, we, we somehow get the idea that that God had a different program going on then, and, and there were some differences for sure. But, but the, the overall story and purpose of what God's Word is laying out for us has been the same. So if I, if I give it to you just in a short little statement, uh, the idea is this. God is sovereign. God is in control. At some point, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. That is spoken of for both the Father, God the Father, and Isaiah, Yahweh. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. It's also repeated in the New Testament about who? Jesus, right? Why do you think the Bible does that? Well, because they're one. So, the Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. So, God has revealed himself. The Lord has has come down, the only way for you and I or anybody else to, to have any understanding that God exists is for God to condescend and to reveal himself to us. Romans 1 is all about that, and really, uh, Genesis to Revelation is God's revelation to us. He's declaring to us who he is and, and what it is that he's looking for and, and how we might have a relationship. And as we work our way through and as we talk about all the things that the Old Testament has laid out, over and over again, this same concept comes up. Will you bow the knee to God? Or won't you? I mean, in a nutshell, that's the story of the Old Testament. Will you bow the knee to God? Well, what's the story of the New Testament? Will you bow your knee to Jesus? Will you confess him with your lips and believe in your heart, right? Isn't that what Romans 10, 9, and 10 tells us? It's the same message. Just a deeper or fuller revelation on on God and, and what God is doing and working in us. So if we look, in order for us to understand Daniel, okay, we're going to jump into Daniel. There's no way on earth I'm going to get past verse 2. So you might as well get yourself in your head. You're not going to get to hear much of Daniel chapter 1. Okay? But in order for you to comprehend the message of Daniel, 
All right, because a lot of times what happens is people just run and they start reading the prophecies and they go, man, this is so cool. But you've removed it from the context of the whole scripture. What is it that God's declaring? There's so many things that we'll have opportunity to discuss uh, what uh, a chiasm is, what a chiastic structure is, and, and how that's laid out for us in Daniel, and why that points to a common understanding in the most important chapters, chapter 4 and 5. What? Not 9, not 7, not 11, not 12, all those prophecies? What's up? Well, what happens in Daniel chapter 4? Nebuchadnezzar does something. What's he do? He bows his knee to the king of kings and proclaims that Yahweh is God most high. And he proclaims it to the whole world. He puts a proclamation up everywhere he owns, every place it's his. What happens in chapter 5? Somebody else doesn't. Daniel becomes a story really of of two cities. It becomes a story of the city of God, Jerusalem, and the city of rebellion, Babylon. Revelation, really a story of two cities. The city of Jerusalem, the city of God, and the city of Babylon, rebellion against God. What's the purpose and the point? Will you bow your knee? Will you have that relationship that God's calling you to? Look at Romans chapter 12. I just want you to kind of overlap. We're going to look at a lot of scripture and I'm going to, I'm going to hopefully paint some unconfusing things for you so that we have an understanding as we open up the door. But Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul is writing to the church in Rome and he says something. You guys are all familiar with this. You've heard this before, right? I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, how? Living sacrifice, living sacrifice, okay? So I just want to, I don't, let's not run past it. Living sacrifice means while the Lord may, may call you to a life of martyrdom where you die for the Lord, what's he want you to do? Live for him. Paul, when he talks, he talks about how much he'd like to leave this world. Do you guys know that section of scripture? Paul says, man, I'd really like to bail because I'd rather be in heaven with Jesus than, than with all you guys. Nevertheless, it's more needful for me to be here. So for me to live is Christ. To die is gain, but to live is Christ. So the first thing he's calling us to, living sacrifice, living for the Lord, serving the Lord. Isn't that what God's calling us to? Do you realize that was what he was asking for from the nation of Israel as well? We're not talking about a different message. Serve the Lord. What was he asking for for, for from them? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength. Love the Lord your God. Be, Be that living sacrifice, living for him, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's not your your most excellent service. It's not some crazy, wild thing you did. Serving God is just reasonable. Why is it reasonable? Well, he's the creator of all the universe. He knows where all the pieces go. You know, there's... You guys ever had to put stuff together? <laughs> Kathy, I love my wife dearly. And she is an Amazon shopper. Any Amazon shoppers? Okay. So... I, I confess, I, I Amazon shop too, but never for stuff I got to put together. <laughs> so she got this thing for holding logs. And 
it's a circle. It's, it's a stand in a circle, and you fill it up with logs. And it's kind of cool looking. It comes in a giant box, 10,000 pieces. And yeah, instructions are not in English. And no pictures. No pictures. There's a little picture in the bottom of the instructions that show you all the pieces. You know, oh, well, hallelujah. I, would, I could have figured out the pieces. How did I put them together? So I put it together. It's together. It looks pretty good. I did. It's a circle. Well, I don't know. I, I, don't, I, I won't say for sure there's 360 degrees in it, but it, it's roundish. And it, wouldn't it have been easier putting that together, sitting down with the guy who made it? And saying, hey, how's this go together? You realize that's what God does for us because he's the one who puts our lives together. Paul would declare to us in Colossians, some of the greatest scripture that speak of the deity of Christ, that he is God in the flesh. He says that in Christ, our lives consist. So an easy way to understand that, Jesus holds your life together. If your life's falling apart and you wanted to get it back together, where do you go to get it back together? Jesus. Why? He's the one who put it together. He knows how you went. The Bible says he created all things, everything that is created, whether on heaven and earth, uh, thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all things were made by him, for him, and through him, and in him all things consist. That's what Colossians declares to us. So as God's revealing himself to the world, he's revealing himself to the nation of Israel, his declaration to them is, I know how you work. And I've got a plan and a purpose so that your life can be what you want it to be. But there's a choice we have to make, right? There's a choice we need to make. What? To be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And then here's the important part. Do not be conformed to this world. Somebody tell me what is happening in the United States today. For the most part, you know, a lot. I want, Not all, for sure, not all. Definitely not any of you guys. But a lot of people who call themselves the church are conformed into the image of this world. I can't tell the difference from them and, and Christ. Well, how come? Because they did exactly what Israel did. Remember, Israel becomes a nation. They get a, they, the Lord takes them from Egypt. He puts them into the land, the land of Canaan. And they say later on, as, they, as time moves on, they say, we want kings. And what happened? What happened to the nation of Israel? They became just like the people that they put out. Didn't they? They became just like them. They were conformed into this world. They became just like everything else, which is rejecting God, rejecting the Lord, and just living for what we can get here. But that's, that's a great way to live, but it's not according to the instructions that our Maker has given us. And when we live that way, we find ourselves in a pretty consistent struggle in opposition to what God is trying to move. But rather than being conformed to this world, what's he want us to be? Transformed, right? Transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So let your mind be transformed by doing what? By serving God. By following him. By having that relationship with him. Now, <coughs> before we think, okay, well, that's cool and that's, that's, that's uh, 
that's definitely something we've heard before in church. We work our way through the New Testament. But I want you to know that God gave a, a similar word through Moses. You guys remember Moses, right? Ten Commandments. That's back in the beginning. Way back in the beginning. Sometime when you got time, read the entire chapter of Deuteronomy chapter 28. It's the chapter about the blessings and the cursings. But here's what he says. Deut- uh, Deuteronomy 28.1. It shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. God says, man, if you'll just follow the instructions that I've provided for how you were made, you'll find yourself exactly where you want to be. But that wasn't where it stopped, right? He goes on in verse 15, he says this, But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. So he says, if you follow the instructions, boom, you're in a good place. If you don't, then you're in a bad place. So let's just keep bringing it back around to us. So if we put ourselves in this place, where are we? Under the blessing or the curse? Where's our nation? Under the blessing or the curse? Where's our nation heading? Under the blessing or the curse? You know that the the book of Daniel has a lot to say for how to get your nation on track. Did you know that? A lot of prophecy, but a lot of stuff to say. How to get your nation on track. How to get yourself on track. It's hard to get somebody else on track if you're off, right? So we want to get on. We see that God has a purpose in his plan, his word through Moses. Now let's look at Daniel for just a second because I want you to hear God's word through Nebuchadnezzar. You guys, you guys have heard of him, right? You're going to hear about him a lot in the next several weeks. Nebuchadnezzar has one of them long crazy names that the Bible loves to throw at you, right? But, but it's at least pronounceable. Some of them I have to read today. You're going to say, oh, how did he get that? I don't know. <laughs> to be honest, I just fake it till I make it. If it comes off good and you buy it, it's, everybody's happy. Well, Nebuchadnezzar wrote a chapter in the Bible. He wrote a chapter in the book of Daniel. And to me, it's one of the high points of the book of Daniel. It's a, a place when a Gentile king bows a knee to Almighty God. A Gentile king, not a Jew. And where's that at? Oh, that's Old Testament. How far old? Pretty old. 600 B.C., probably when it was written somewhere in that area, 600 B.C. That's a long time ago, folks. Right? Long time ago. Let's look what Nebuchadnezzar has to say, what the Lord gave him. Daniel chapter 4, verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. How great are His signs. How mighty His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And His dominion is from generation to generation. Man, He's going to share His testimony. I'm not going to read all His testimony, but I'm going to go to the end of chapter 4. In verse 34, let's pick up what He has to say to kind of bring it all together. And at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar. So who wrote this? Nebuchadnezzar, right? It's not that complicated. 
I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, my understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, for he does according to his will in all the army of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth, no one can restrain his hand or say to him, What have you done? What happened to Nebuchadnezzar? He, he, he was Mr. Big Shot. We're going to read about him, right? He was Mr. Big Shot. He had it all together. He was ruling the world. But then in chapter 4, who does he say rules the world? God. And what happened to Nebuchadnezzar? He found himself in submission to the Almighty. In submission to the Almighty. Well, we look at what's going on. We see, okay, God told Moses, follow my instructions, blessings, uh, uh, don't follow my instruction, cursings. We see this, this word from, from Nebuchadnezzar. But how do we get from Moses to Nebuchadnezzar? How does all of those things happen? Why does Babylon, this, this city in the Bible that speaks of rebellion against God, why does it speak of rebellion against God? What, what's the first thing that ever happened to Babylon? You guys remember the book of Genesis? There was a tower called the Tower of Babel, right? The Tower of Babel. What happened there? All the world united in rebellion against God. All the world united in rebellion against God. The Bible says God confused their language and spread them out. Otherwise, they were going to enter into judgment too soon. So God in his mercy scattered the nations. The, the, the town of Babylon... The place of rebellion against God. Well, let's take a look. Let's see how we how did we get here? How do we get here? If we flip over to the next slide, I think we got Manasseh up there. <laughs> or we don't. We do. Manasseh. Manasseh. Okay, now uh, I'm gonna give you a brief history lesson. Sorry for those of you who don't like history, but you gotta understand what's happening. What's going on? God said, follow these instructions, everything's good. Don't follow these instructions, everything's gonna go south. Nebuchadnezzar figured out that God was most high in all the earth as a result of his relationship with Daniel. But how did we get there? How do we go from one to the other? Well, really, it starts at the very beginning when the nation of Israel said to God, we don't want you to be our king, we want our own king. Okay? And they asked for a king and they got a guy named Saul. Everybody remember? And Saul rules for a period of time, but he's not God's choice. Who was God's choice? David, right? David, because he's a man after God's own heart. He was bowed to God. Saul was unbowed. Saul was his own master. David served the Lord God Almighty. So we have this, the beginning of the monarchy takes place. <coughs> We're going to jump forward to a guy named Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a good king. Maybe you remember Hezekiah. Hezekiah is a guy, if you've heard this story before, in Sunday school, Hezekiah is the guy who was facing the Assyrian army. And the Assyrian army, they came to him and they said, Hey, um, we're going to wipe you out. We don't really care what God you serve. Everybody serves some God and we wiped them all out to this day. You're just next. We're going to take you next. And Hezekiah went before the Lord and he opened up this letter that, he, that was written to him by Shennacherib. And he says, Lord, this is what they're saying about you. What are you going to do for me? What was it that Hezekiah knew? He, he was bowed before the king of kings and the Lord of lords, right? He was serving Almighty God. 
He had this huge problem. What did he do? He brought it to the Lord. What did God do? Basically, God says, go to bed. I got this. And in the morning, there is no longer an army of 185,000 outside. All gone. The Bible says one angel passed through the army. You know, when Jesus was going to the cross, you remember Peter takes out his sword and he cuts off the ear of Malchus? And, and the Lord says to him, Peter, I could have called ten legions of angels. What was he telling him? He's saying, Peter, I don't need your sword. I don't need you to die for me. I want you to live for me. I don't need you to die for me. I want you to live for me. Everybody's so quick to say, I could die for the Lord. God just wants you to live for him. Let's just do that part. That's, that's the part he wants us to get. So he says, I could have called 10,000. 10,000 angels. One angel killed 185,000 without working up a sweat. What would 10,000 do? So Jesus didn't need his, his help, right? He, his purpose was to go to the cross. God's plan of redemption was to provide for you and I so that we could bow the knee before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So that we would be strengthened in everything that we need so we could have a relationship with Almighty God. That was Jesus' purpose as he comes. Well, Hezekiah lays it out. God delivers. Hezekiah had bowed the knee to the Lord and the Lord was with him. But then later on, Hezekiah gets sick. And when he's sick, the man of the Lord comes to him. Back then, they would sometimes call a doctor, but more often they would call for the prophet. And the prophet would come in and they would say, would you inquire of the Lord whether or not I'm going to get well? So the prophet sought out the Lord and the Lord said, nope, you're going to die. You need to get your affairs in order. This, this is your last stop. The Bible says Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall, began to weep. In essence, he prays and asks God for more time. God gives him more time. Because God is compassionate. And God is merciful. And in his more time, Hezekiah has a son. Up to that point, he probably hadn't had a son yet. And his son's name is Manasseh. Manasseh has the longest reign of any king in Israel. Because he's the worst. He is the absolute worst king, most evil person you can imagine. If you got to close your eyes and think of an evil person, Manasseh is, is higher. Whatever you got in your mind, Manasseh was worse. He reigns for 65 years. Incredible long reign, Manasseh. And he does all this wickedness. And God says, look, because Manasseh has done all these things, we're going to take a look at it in a minute. Because he's done all these things, I'm, I'm going to bring judgment. And that judgment was because the nation of Israel is conformed to the image of this world and not transformed. Because the nation of Israel has not bowed its knee to me, but has bowed its knee to every other God. Then I'm going to send them to the city where the rebellious go. What was the name of the city of rebellion of God? Babylon. Rebellion against God? Babylon. So I'm going to send them to Babylon. Well, I just want you to understand why is it that God waited so long for him? Because at the end, Manasseh would repent. What you get? God waits for you. Manasseh repented. In the end of his life, he bows the knee to the king of kings and lord of lords. And what's God do for him? Forgives him. What's God do for you? Forgives you. 
Do you get what I'm, what I'm telling you? So Manasseh is the beginning. He's the bringer of God's judgment. Because of him, all the people are going into Babylon. Manasseh repents, and that's good for Manasseh, but what about the rest of the people? Oh, man, they were headlong into wicked. Headlong into wicked. We look at our nation today. Where, where are, where's our nation going? Headlong into wicked. No? It's crazy. You turn on TV, somebody's doing something else even worse. Even worse. What is it that God's calling for from his people? To stop rebelling against the Lord. Bow the knee to him. Serve him. Live our lives for him. Because in so doing, we might be able to put off that judgment of God. And in in doing that, what happens? People come to a relationship with the Lord God Almighty. Other people enter in. Other people's lives are radically transformed because they know God. Well, listen to what happened to, to Manasseh. 2 Kings 21. So the Lord spoke by his servants the prophets, saying, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done these abominations, for he has acted more wickedly than all the Amorites who were before him, and has also made Judah sin with his idols. So the people who were put out of the land when they came in, that's the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and he says Manasseh's worse than all them guys. He was supposed to be transformed by serving the Lord, but instead he was conformed into the image of the world. And he led the people down a path of, of wickedness. Well, look what happens. <coughs> Therefore, <clears throat> thus says the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such calamity upon Jerusalem and Judah that whoever hears of it, both of his ears will tingle. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab. What's he talking about? Okay, he says, look, I'm going to judge Judah the same way I judged Israel. Israel, the northern kingdom, they were divided into two, all bad, always wicked. They are already in captivity. They've been in captivity 150 years earlier. They were conquered by Assyria. But remember when Assyria came against Hezekiah? His knee was bowed before the Lord. God delivered them. They had more time to make a difference, right? To make a difference. But now Manasseh is gone. So the Lord says, look, because I judge them, I got to judge you. You're not following the directions. Your life is careening out of control. And the result of that is going to be destruction. It's going to be destruction. The road, the path that they were on. So look what he says. I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish. Wiping it and turning it upside down. So how much is going to be left on the dish if you wipe it off? Not too much, right? So I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies and they shall become victims of plunder to their enemies because they have done evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the day their fathers came out of Egypt even to this day. Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to the other. Besides his sin by which he made Judah sin in doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Oh, Manasseh, he covered the nation with innocent blood. Well, if you want to read about it, you can. You go through the book of 2 Kings and you can read about what Manasseh did. But I'll give you the short version. Manasseh led the charge in killing babies. It was a service of the god Molech. 
So in order to have prosperity, in order for life to be good, in order for them to be blessed, people would offer their children on the altar. And they would put their their children to the fire. And God said, man, you covered one end to the other in innocent blood. And I'm not going to pass over that. Judgment's going to come. Look, I just want you to know whatever Manasseh did, we've multiplied by probably a million times. Rather than being as bold or as, as uh, well, just evil as Manasseh, we, we don't kill a child on an altar. We do it in the womb. But we still do it the same way. We do it the same way they did. We burn them. And we burn them to the same God. The God of... of Prosperity. Can't afford this right now. And if God said to Manasseh, look, because of this stuff you did, judgment is going to come because I can't just pass over the blood of the innocent. That's not the only thing he did, but one of them. So he said, look, it's going to come. He said, if I judge those other people, I got to judge you. Then what's he saying about the United States right now? If I judge those other people, if I judge those other nations, I'm just going to give you a pass. So, so Manasseh, Manasseh finds himself judged. Now remember Manasseh turned. He, he repents. His relationship with God is good at his death. But he has another son. The next slide is a guy named Ammon. Ammon's a bad king evil king assassinated he didn't last long this is all that the bible says about him he did evil in the sight of the lord like his father manasseh had done so he walked in all the ways that his father had walked he served the idols his father had served and worshiped them he forsook the lord god of his fathers and did not walk in the way of the lord so the servants of ammon conspired against him and killed the king in his own house so they assassinate him he doesn't rule for very long they put him down. So we've, we've come from Manasseh, really bad. Ammon, really bad. But you know that when all these things are happening, when a nation is, is headed in the wrong direction, do you know that God doesn't stop working? Do you know that? You think God's able to turn around a, a nation like that with an eight-year-old? Any of you know any eight-year-olds? If we look at the next slide, we're going to meet him. Josiah, it's the last good king of Judah. The last chance for revival. His father's the one who just got assassinated. He's eight. And he's amazing. He's amazing. He was God's man for the moment to lead a revival. In a nation that's careening into judgment, but has an opportunity to see the grace of God be extended one more time. An opportunity to see the grace of God go forward and change people's lives. So before that period of judgment comes, God provides an eight-year-old 
It's amazing. We look at the next slide. He begins his reign at 8. It says in 2 Kings 21-24, But the people of the land executed all those who conspired against King Ammon, and the people of the land made Josiah king in his place. So the people kill all the people who killed Ammon. It's a messed up country, right? You guys get the idea. It's a mess. And they put an 8-year-old on the throne. Now I'm sure the people are thinking, well, hey, we put an 8-year-old on the throne, we can do whatever we want. So they put the 8-year-old on the throne, and time passes, but God is moving and working in this 8-year-old. It says in uh, 2 Kings 22, verse 1, Josiah was 8 years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedida, the daughter of Abiah, and uh, Bozkath. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the ways of his father David, he did not turn to the right side or to the left. What's that mean? What did King Josiah do? Bowed the knee to God. He lived his life a living sacrifice. He wasn't conformed into the world of all the people around him who were all going different directions. Instead, what happened? He was transformed. How was he transformed? By the renewing of his mind so that he could do what was the perfect will of God. He wanted to follow God as an eight-year-old king who's got everything he wants. He wants to follow God. Well, let's look what, what's next in his story. <clears throat> Sometimes we wonder, go ahead and flip over to the next slide. We wonder how it is that the land got so crazy. How did they get so bad? How did they get so far? Well, 18 years, Josiah's there 18 years, and they find something that's been lost. For God knows how long they found the Bible. They lost the Bible. They lost the book of the law. In fact, the, the way they find it is Josiah sends a guy to go collect the offering from the temple. And the guy goes to collect the offering in the temple. And he finds these scrolls and he says, what are these? The guy looking around is a priest. But he doesn't know what the Bible is because they haven't read it in so long. Nobody knows what it says. Nobody knows. They found the instructions. And the instructions aren't in a different language or something that they can't understand. They're in their own language. So they scoop up the book of the law and they read it. Let's look at what happens. 2 Kings 22, verse 8. Then Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book uh, to Shaphan and he read it. So Shaphan the scribe went to the king, bringing the king word, saying... <clears throat> your servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into your hand <clears throat> or into the hand of those who do the work, who are overseeing the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest gave me this book. And Shaphan read it to the king. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, and Achbor, the son of Micaiah, and Shaphan the scribe, and Asai, and a servant of the king, saying, Go and inquire the Lord for me, for the people and for all of Judah, concerning the words of this book that have been found. For great is the wrath of Yahweh that is aroused against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of the book to do according to all that has been written inside concerning us. 
So they find it. They read the instruction manual and they go, oh my gosh, look at the instruction manual. It says we're not supposed to kill babies. The instruction manual says we're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. You know, that's not New Testament. That's old. The instruction booklet laid out for him God's instruction. Why? Because he's the maker. He made it all. He put it all together. And so he reads it. He tears his clothes and he says, man, we, we got to get right. We got to get right. So he makes a decision in 2 Kings 22 verse 14. So Hilkiah the priest, Ahikim, Akbar, Shaphan, and Isaiah went to Hulda, the prophetess. Why did they have to go to Hulda, the prophetess? They had to go to Hulda, the prophetess, because none of them talked to God anymore. Nobody prayed. Nobody read their Bible. Nobody was into that stuff. They had let all that stuff go. Their nation was circling the drain, plummeting. Judgment was on the horizon. Bad things were happening all around them. But Josiah finds the Bible and decides, you know, I'm going to live my life like what this says. I'm going to follow God's instruction. I'm going to bow the knee. I'm going to serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So they find Hilda the prophetess. Listen to what she says. It says, She dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they spoke with her, and she said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, This is what the Lord says. Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants. All the words of the book which the king of Judah has read. Because they've forsaken me and they burn incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath shall be aroused against this place, and it shall not be quenched. God says, hey, it's too late. Judgment's coming, it's too late. But as for the king of Judah... Who sent you to inquire the Lord in this manner you will speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel. Concerning the words which you have heard. Because your heart was tender. And you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place. And its inhabitants. That they would become a desolation and a curse. And you tore your clothes and you wept before me. I also have heard you. Surely therefore I will gather you to your fathers. And you will be gathered to your grave in peace. Your eyes will not see the calamity. You understand what just happened? Okay, judgment is coming. We're not going to forestall the judgment. The judgment is going to happen. Somebody's got to pay for all that stuff that's gone on. But because of Josiah's heart and his willingness to bow before the Lord, God said, but I'm not going to bring it while you're alive. I'm not going to bring it while you're alive. What would happen if we had 300 Josiahs all go before the Lord in an attitude of repentance for for our nation not blaming everything on everybody else's problem but just saying you know what we're 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 messed up and we're screwed up but we're bowing the knee to you would god say the same to you what kind of difference will that make for your kids what about your grandkids what kind of difference would it make if people became people of the book again and it wasn't just something we looked at, but something we obeyed. Something we did. Something that we were. Well, Josiah is going to bring reform. So Josiah hears the, the words of this book, and he's, he goes to town, man. He's my favorite. Josiah is my favorite. 
<coughs> Josiah says, I'm going to bring reform. So 2 Kings 23. Now the king sent them to gather all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem to him. The king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and with him all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests, the prophets, and all the people, small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant. What did he do? He read a Bible to them. He read the Bible to them. He's reading the Bible to the people. He read it in their hearing. And then the king stood by a pillar. And he made a covenant before the Lord to follow and keep his, his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart, with all his soul, to perform the words of the covenant that were written in the book. And all the people took a stand for the covenant. I love it because we see the same thing happen with Joshua. Remember Joshua at the end of his time, he brought the people into the land. What did he say? You know, whether it's right or wrong for you to serve God or other gods or do the things all these other people are doing, you decide. But as for me and my house, yeah, we're bowing our knee to the Lord. So what just Josiah reads the Bible, he don't wait for their response. Their response has nothing to do with it. He reads the Bible and he says, look, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do what it says. I'm going to do what it says. And it radically transformed the nation. It started to catch fire all over the place. And it was not, pretty soon it was not just Josiah. It's other people. It's other places. It's things radically changing. Old temples being torn down. Behaviors that have been practiced are, are going to be lost. In 2 Kings 23 verse 4 it says, The king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest and the priests of the second order and the doorkeepers to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the articles that were for Baal and for Asherah, for all the host of heaven. He burned them, all their false gods. He took them out and he burned them. Then he removed the idolatrous priests from the kings of Judah who had ordained to burn incense in the high places in the cities of Judah and in the places all around Jerusalem and those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun, to the moon, the constellations, and all the hosts of heaven. So then he gathered up all the priests that were doing the bogus stuff, and he put them out. Then he gathered up all the people who said, this is what we want to do. And he said, cool, you just got to do it somewhere else. You don't get to do it here. And he put them out. Then it says, uh, then he brought the wooden image from the house of the Lord to the brook Kidron, and he burned it. And he ground up its ashes and he threw the ashes on the graves of common people. And he tore down the ritual booze of the perverted persons. Ritual booze of the perverted person. I probably don't have a lot of time to get into it. It was um, priests used in worship in a sexual sense, uh, utilizing homosexuality as part of their worship. <laughs> he put them out. He brought all the priests to the city of Judah that defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense from Geba to Beersheba. Also, he broke down the high places at the gates that were at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were to the left of the city gate. Nevertheless, the priests of the high places did not come down or did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they ate unleavened bread among their brethren. And he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or daughter pass through the fire to Molech. He said, yeah, that's over. That part's over. That's not happening no more. Man, he's, he's, this, this incredible reform goes through. 
And the people are all stoked and they're all following them and they're all about it. And so they have this reprieve. This reprieve is going on. But then all of a sudden we hear about this, this, this Babylonian guy, Nebuchadnezzar. And we hear about uh, he's going to go, Pharaoh Necho is going to go gather together with the Assyrians and try to put down Nebuchadnezzar. And Josiah gets it in his mind that he's supposed to stop Pharaoh Necho. But that wasn't something God told him to do. So Pharaoh Necho is passing by Jerusalem and he goes through a valley. It's called the Valley of Megiddo. We know it as what? Armageddon. You guys ever heard of Armageddon? So they go through Armageddon. Josiah goes riding down there to stop Pharaoh Necho. Pharaoh Necho kills Josiah. And the king passes. And all the reform is over. Just like that. God gave a reprieve and he gave him time. But Josiah dies in 2 Kings 22 or 23, 29. <coughs> it says, In his days, Pharaoh Necho, the king of Egypt, went to the aid of the king of Assyria to the river Euphrates, and King Josiah went against him, and Pharaoh Necho killed him at Megiddo when he confronted him. So then Josiah's son comes on. Jehoiahaz is the next king. Jehoiahaz. He's also known known as Shalom. Shalom. He only reigns three months. He reigns about enough time after Pharaoh Necho killed Josiah, and he goes and he helps the Assyrians, but the Assyrians get whooped by the Babylonians, and then as he's coming back by Jerusalem, as Pharaoh Necho's coming back by, he says, no, I don't want that king. I already killed your king, so I'm going to put a king in. So, so Jehoiahaz, he's gone, and instead he takes Eliakim, Eliakim, and he changes his name to Jehoiakim. These are the confusing things about the Bible. You read a name and, and it's confusing enough just to have a weird name and then they change the name. Eliakim became Jehoiakim. Why did Pharaoh change his name? To say, I own you. Yet I think your name no more. Now your name's Jehoiakim. You do whatever I tell you to do. That's what Pharaoh Necho said. Well, Pharaoh Necho goes back to Egypt. And Jehoiakim, he's, he's hanging out and he says... He's got to pay these big taxes now. They're not really their own nation, right? He's a vassal king. He's a vassal king. Do you think that all that reform and all that stuff was going on, are the people still into it? Nope. Didn't take very long for all that stuff to go back up. For them to start doing all the same stuff again. For them to forget that they had the Bible. Forget that they had the word and put it away. Why? Because in the heart of man is this rebellion. The heart of man doesn't have that thing that says, you know, I just want to submit to God. We have, to, we have to make a decision. Much like the decision we'll see next week that Daniel makes in Daniel chapter 1. To whom will you bow your knee? To whom will you bow your knee? Well, Jehoiakim is pretty sure that Babylon is too tough for Pharaoh Necho. So he decides he's just going to be okay with Babylon. Now, Jehoiakim does this thing where one week he's okay with Babylon, the next week he's not. And he vacillates back and forth. And he's a wishy-washy politician kind of a king. You guys known anybody like that before? And everything changes by popularity. Whatever's popular, whatever's good. He just flips and flops back and forth. And uh, it enables him to live a long time. But it doesn't make him very popular with the prophets. Because at the same time all of this is going on, there's this fella with a big old burly beard named Jeremiah. 
Jeremiah was telling the people, God's judgment is coming. There's nothing you can do about it. So just lay down your, your arms, lay down your sword, and go in peace. But the people won't listen. He does that for his whole life. Jeremiah dies with a rebellious people. Why? Because Jeremiah says, I'm not going to leave them without the word of the Lord. So he tells them, don't do this. They do it. He goes with them. Then they come to Jeremiah and say, what should we do this time? He says, whatever you do, don't do that again. Just submit. Bow the knee. No, we're not going to do it. He goes with them. He goes with them. Ultimately, Jeremiah dies in Egypt with the remnant, the little pieces left of the nation, when Nebuchadnezzar takes Egypt for the last time. Jeremiah had this to say about Jehoiakim. Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his chambers by injustice, who uses his neighbor's service without wages and gives him nothing for his work, who says, I will build myself a white house and spacious chambers and cut uh, out windows for it, panel it with cedar, paint it with vermilion. Shall you reign because you enclose yourself in cedar? Did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Then it was well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and the needy. Then it was well. Was not this knowing me, says the Lord? Isn't this what it means to know me? Isn't this what it is to bow the knee? Yet your eyes and your heart are for nothing but your own covetousness, for the shedding of innocent blood and practicing oppression on the viol- and, and violence. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, they will not lament for you, saying, Alas, my brother or sister. They will not lament for you, saying, Alas, my master, or alas, his glory. You will be buried with the burial of a donkey. When he died, nobody had a burial for him. He just one of them back and forth, couldn't set his mind. He's an evil king, according to Second Kings 23. He surrenders his loyalty to Babylon. Now, that's where Daniel comes in. Nebuchadnezzar comes down into Babylon. He comes in and he conquers. Not much of a fight. Really, he's just kind of surrendering. He's been paying taxes to Egypt. Now he's going to pay taxes to Babylon. But when Nebuchadnezzar comes down, he goes, You know, I just want to work my way through the best and the brightest of your people. And I'm going to bring them back with me. So the first deportation is a small group. Four of them are named to us. Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. You know them better by Rakshak and Benny, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's the first wave taken over. First wave taken over. Keep in mind, those guys are all sophomores in high school. Do you think God can do a revival through a bunch of sophomores in high school? you think God could do a revival with an eight-year-old? What do you think God's going to do through those four guys who, as the point of the book of Daniel is, make a decision to bow their knee? to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords to say, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to live for you. I'm not going to be conformed to this world. 
But I'm going to be transformed by knowing you, by surrendering to you, by walking with you. What is it that God is able to do when those things happen? Well, after Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim flips. Now Nebuchadnezzar leaves. His father died. Napapalasser dies. He goes back home. <coughs> Jehoiakim takes over. But before Jehoiakim takes over, Jehoiakim flipped again against Babylon. And he joined up with Nico. And he said, oh, you know, this is, we're going to take them. We're going to whoop all those guys. The whole time Jeremiah is saying, stop, you're going to get all the people killed. But no, we don't want to listen to God. We don't want to listen to what God says. We don't want to do things God's way. We're going to decide for ourselves. So they reject it. They continue to rebel. Right before Nebuchadnezzar gets back for the second time, Jehoiakim dies. Well, because Nebuchadnezzar's coming back, they're not in any big rush to bury him. Remember what God said? You're going to get a donkey's burial. So then uh, Jehoiakim is the next guy. <coughs> we can flip to the next one to see if we can find Jehoiakim. So we got Jehoiakim. That should be an N, not an M. He's also known as Jeconiah. Jeconiah. Jehoiakim, Jeconiah. So he takes over. You know what he gets to deal with? He takes over and he's in power relatively a few, a short period of time. And Nebuchadnezzar with the army shows up. And they think they're going to fight, but they get whooped. The second deportation, uh, Nebuchadnezzar comes through and he takes 10,000 this time as slaves. You guys remember Jeremiah 29, 11? Yeah, we're dealing around that period of time. He takes 10,000. He takes all the best skilled laborers that they got. He takes all the best men of war that they got. He leaves them with all the dregs. He takes all the priests. And with all those priests that he takes back, there's a fellow that you might recognize his name. Ezekiel. You ever heard of Ezekiel? He takes Ezekiel back to Babylon. So then you have Ezekiel prophesying. You've got Jeremiah prophesying. You've got Daniel prophesying. You've got Habakkuk prophesying. In fact, if you work your way through the prophets... Most of them are prophesying during this period of time. Trying to do what? Trying to turn the people's eyes toward the Lord. Trying to tell them to bow the knee. Submit. Surrender. Give your life to the Lord. Don't be conformed to the image of the world. Be transformed. Be changed. But where was their rebellion taking them all? Babylon. The city of rebellion. Babylon. The city of rebellion. So... Jeconiah, he gets put into prison and taken back to Babylon. And then <coughs> uh, Nebuchadnezzar puts Mataniah in, uh, in, in control. It says, the king of Babylon made Mataniah, Jehoiakim's uncle, king in his place, and changed his name to Zedekiah. So now you have Mataniah, Zedekiah. He becomes the last king. That's the one Jeremiah begs over and over and over again. But he won't listen. He won't hear the instructions. He won't say, yes, I I see what the Lord is saying. And I want to be obedient to him. So they all die. Three deportations. Probably four or five different leaders during that time of Babylon that takes all that stuff. That's the time period. That's what's going on in the world at the time of Daniel. That's what's happening. When a few sophomores 
go 700 miles away from where they were born. They walk there. They probably had a lot of plans for their life, and their, their plan for their life was not to be an eternal slave. Their plan for their life was probably not to be a eunuch. Ask your parents. <laughs> they probably thought they were going to have family. They were going to do all these things, but that wasn't, that wasn't part of God's plan. What was God going to do? God was radically going to transform a king named Nebuchadnezzar. God was going to continue to teach the lesson. What's the lesson? Will you bow the knee to God? Will you bow the knee? All the way through Genesis, all the way through till we come to the time of Christ. It's the same thing. It's the same. I'm, I'm, I'm simplifying it, but it's the same deal, right? Will you bow the knee? Will you say, you're my Lord. You're my Savior. I'm going to follow you. I want to do what you want. Or will you continue down the way of rebellion and end up in Babylon? God shows Daniel things. God shows Daniel things that blow, will blow your mind. If it don't blow your mind, uh, you need to get it and put it back in. I don't know where you're keeping it. <coughs> the prophecies in Daniel are so intense that the critics of Daniel say he knows too much. It had to be written after it all happened. Critics say it's not possible. Uh, there's no way for him to know all this stuff. So how does he know it all? How is it that he sees it all? How is it that he's able to write those things down? He surrendered himself to the Lord God Almighty. And what did God show him? God showed him the plans and the purposes and the things that he had planned for the time of the Gentiles. What was his purpose and plan for the time of the Gentiles? To watch Nebuchadnezzar get saved. I think we'll see him in heaven one day. But to also show... All the others around him who won't bow the knee, even though, who won't hear, even though, who can't seem to allow those things to break through, who can't seem to allow those things to change. So as we study the book of Daniel, I just want you to hear. I want you to spend some time going through the history and just say, listen to what God is shouting to us. Because the, the time of them, their time's over. They're done. They're, they're, they still have future events coming. Hallelujah. But our time's now. Our world looks just like that. Our kings look just like that. And if we want to see things change, then we have to listen to what Paul said in Romans chapter 12. Don't be conformed to this world but be transformed be a living sacrifice living your life for the Lord if God sends you someplace where they take it well hallelujah you can say like Paul hey for me to live is Christ it dies gain I got to go home but most of us he's calling to stay to read the word of the law just like Josiah did and to say look I don't know if you guys are hearing what I'm saying but I'm doing this this is how I'm going to live. This is where I'm following. This is where I'm going. That's the message of Daniel. Think about all the stories in Daniel. And as we start to dive into them next week, I'm hopeful that you're going to see, that you're going to <clears throat> be able to understand that that is exactly what God's doing. I just want to share one last verse with you guys. <coughs> 
in uh, Joshua. Joshua chapter 24. When all this started, all that time ago. Now therefore, Joshua said, fear the Lord, serve him. In sincerity and in truth, put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river. Put away the gods of Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your fathers, or that your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. That's the question God's asking us this morning. Who are you going to serve? Which one are you going to be like? What will be the mark of your life? And can God change your neighborhood or your family or your town or your state just because you're willing? Just because you say, like Josiah, I'm going to live my life this way. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for this this journey through the Old Testament history. Just a journey to kind of get the context of what's going on, what's happening around the nation as Daniel comes into our focus, as we see, God, you move and work through his life. And God, I pray that we would just recognize and see that Daniel makes it a point to purpose in his heart, I'm going to follow God. Just like Joshua said, look, you can serve whoever you want. But as for me and my house, we're serving the Lord. Just like Josiah or Hezekiah or David, you name the heroes that we read about in the Old Testament scriptures. Look, they're just like us, a man just like you and me. But they purpose in their heart, I'm going to serve the King of kings and Lord of lords. I'm going to bow my knee to Almighty God. I'm going to live my life after his book. I'm going to follow his way. And God is able to change. God is able to transform. God is able to redeem. And we've been asleep too long. We've let it go too far. And we may not be able to stop judgment. But we got to engage. We've got to be the voice We've got to be the hands and the feet. We've got to be men and women who will say, look, I'm going to stand for the king. I'm going to stand for him. I'm going to live for him. And watch God change things around us. Watch the difference that it makes. I don't know the last time I've seen so many people want to proclaim that they're a Christian, they're a follower of Christ, than this year through the election. God, there's a real man of God in there somewhere. There's a real Josiah. There's one that will lead us, that will unite us, that will help us tear down the high places, destroy the temples of the false gods, not literally, figuratively, the things that we allow to be a part of of our lives. Lord, I pray that you would clean house within us, Lord, that we might find ourselves on the road to revival, on the 
road to renewal, on the road to reform, that our nation once again could be a place where people can see the love of Jesus Christ, where they can recognize his blessing. God, we pray that you go before us in this place, Lord. Help us to be the men and women that you're calling us to be, to do what you're asking us to do. And to remember, it's not by might or by power, but by your spirit, saith the Lord. You do the work. We just have to bow the knee and say, I'm here. I'm reporting for duty. And then you do the work in the hearts and the lives of your people. Be glorified in this place, for we know Indeed, God is able. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.